Woo, who's excited this morning? Come on. It's going to be a good day. Brand new series. There was 11 people that gave their life to Jesus, and this is their first full worship experience as a believer. Come on, somebody. I love that stuff, man. Uh, so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for being with us as we kick off this new series, The Week After Easter. The tomb is still empty. We still get to celebrate Easter today. And uh, man, I love worship. I love worship. I love worship not because I just love songs and not just because I'm so energetic. It's just I love worship because, man, we get to celebrate the exact same thing every single week and just do it with passion and with power and with excitement. And for me, there's nothing better than just singing about how great somebody is, how great God is. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, I, it's just a way that the Bible declares that it's a way that we get to declare his goodness and his glory. And um, man, I just love that. So I love worshiping with you and being here each and every Sunday. Hey, it's so honored you're with us. You can go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter five. I wanna say welcome to our Florence campus. Come on, Columbia, make them feel welcome. Welcome today. Everybody joining us online, uh, I hope that you're feeling all right and you're good. I hope you're not just sitting there with a bowl of Cheerios just because. Uh, but we miss you in the room, but we're glad you're joining us online today. We're so excited. What an Easter we had last week. It was incredible. I want to tell everybody in here, thank you for packing the room for four amazing experiences right here. Eleven people gave their lives to Jesus, and just amazing things are taking place. And uh, excited to see that continue as we move forward forward. Over 1,200 people walked through the doors last Sunday for Easter Sunday. I think that deserves a celebration. <laughs> Praise God. Love it. And uh, it's only the beginning. Hey, I want to say this. Don't let Easter be the only time you invite. Don't let holiday, like, let that start an invite thing, an invite culture in your, in your life. Hey, we got baptism next week. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday, so make sure you're here because we'll be going also into week two of this series, and after this week, you're going to want to be here, I promise. Take your notes out. I want you to hashtag, I want you to hashtag, I want you to title, I want you to title the message this, note takers and history makers. So here we go, hashtag blessed. If you don't know what a hashtag is, it's the number sign, okay? Just write, draw the number sign. It's the number sign, blessed, hashtag blessed. Last week, we celebrated the victory of Jesus over death, hell, and the grave. And the question is, is last week we talked about that and what that means for our lives and how we get to live that. And the question now moving forward is, what does that look like in a tangible way? I'm a very practical person. I like practicalities. I like logic. I like being able to live something out and make it happen. So what does that look like? So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to spend time talking about the greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon ever preached. Like, it is the greatest sermon of all sermons that were ever preached in a sermon format. It is the greatest sermon ever. And no, I'm not preaching on one of my own sermons. I know you were wondering. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we are going to talk about, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus preached, and uh, we're going to break that thing down and what it actually looks like. In fact, it was such, it's such a powerful sermon that St. Augustine actually described it as this. St. Augustine described the Sermon on the Mount as a perfect standard of the Christian life. A perfect standard of the Christian life, because many times what can happen is we're either new to this thing and we're trying to figure out what does this even look like? What does this even mean? Or we've been in it so long we forget what it looks like and we forget what it means. But here's what I love. He said what it meant. And so if you get mad at anything that's said today, 
That's what he said, not me, okay? Just get mad at Jesus because we're really going to take the next several weeks and we're just going to break it down. What does it look like to live for him? Most of the Sermon on the Mount is about how to live a Christ-honoring, God-honoring life. This sermon today, the, the, the first part, verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5, really talks a lot about character, way more than outward action. It, takes, it talks about things that I, you and I can't see in the other person, but we know if it's happening in us. He talks about developing something deep on the inside that we live from, because the truth is, we cannot live outside of our character. In fact, I, I, I teach leadership uh, to my staff and our coaches and, and, and to other pastors, and I, and I say it like this, big doors swing on small hinges. In other words, if you let the little things slip, the big things will eventually slip too. If you want big doors to open in your life, if you want great things to open in your life from God and, and, and all that, if you want that, you better take care of the smaller things too because it will show up eventually. In other words, Jesus is talking about character, and he's saying it like this. Who you are in private is who you are. And I want you to develop who you are so that what you do comes from a love of God that has now been, and who you are is now based around that love for God. And that's where it goes from religion of do this, do this, do this, to relationship. You know what I'm saying? To I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this out of respect for you because I love you so much. And when you turn to chapter 5 of Matthew, you probably saw a heading in there called the Beatitudes, right? It's called the Beatitudes. You probably heard of it called the Beatitudes, right? If you've grown up in church at all, you probably did the, if anybody was like me, you grow up in Sunday school, right? And you had the little felt boards. Anybody remember the felt boards? The little felt boards, and they'd put the Beatitudes up there, and they'd have the picture of the Sermon on the Mount, which I've, I've been to the place where the Sermon on the Mount happened, and I couldn't get the picture ready in time, but I got a picture I'm going to show you next week, so make sure you're here. It's going to be great. Um, but the word Beatitudes, listen, is actually not even biblical. It's not even found in Scripture. Jesus didn't go, all right, I'm going to give you eight points today, and you can title the message the Beatitudes. That's not how Jesus communicated it, the word beatitudes is actually a Latin word, and the Latin word means this, blessings. There ain't a person in the room or online today that wouldn't go, I'd take some blessings. We all would take some blessings, right? We'd all take some blessings. Blessings in my marriage, blessings in my finances, blessings at home, blessings at school, blessings at, 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 at work, whatever it is. Give me blessings. Blessing. Fount of blessings right here. Praise God. Give me all the blessings you can get. Every one of us would do that, and so we hear that, and we're like, okay, that's great, but what is the actual word? Jesus used the word. He didn't use the word blessings. He used the word makarios. Makarios is translated as this, blessed, happy, or fortunate. And so when you see the word blessed, if you want to have fun, you can replace it with the word makarios. Because that's what Jesus was saying. And if you use, so we're titling it hashtag blessed, and if you look up, if you go and Google hashtag blessed, or you go on Instagram or Facebook and, and, and look up hashtag blessed, you're going to see all kinds of things that pop up, right? You're going to see pictures of brand new cars. You're going to see sneakers. You're going to see great outfits and clothes. You're going to see vacations galore and all this stuff, and it's hashtag blessed. Everybody is like, hashtag blessed, so blessed, so, so, so hashtag blessed to be on this vacation to Punta Cana for the, first, for the 15th time this year. And I'm like, yeah, blessed this way would be great. I'd love to go. Invite your boy next time. 
No, hashtag blessed. You, it's, it's all over the place. In fact, it's such a fad now that the New York Times picked up on the fact that everybody was using hashtag blessed. And they wrote an article on it, and, and there's this, this paragraph or these few sentences that they wrote in this article that were actually incredibly fascinating. Here's what the New York Times says. Now, this isn't a preacher. This ain't a church. It's the New York Times, right? Here's what they say in their article. There's nothing quite like invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life. Punch in the teeth. And then it goes on. That's not even the whole thing. But calling someone blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, fish for compliments, and acknowledge success without sounding too conceited. See, in those days, hashtag blessed for those guys, in Jesus' day, their whole thing was in order to be favored by God or to be seen as favored by God, you lived an outward appearance that looked favored. So you didn't have problems with people. You had the nicest clothes. You had the nicest horse and chariot, I guess. You had like all those things, the nice house. You, people liked you. You had influence with people. And so in that day, they worked really hard to make sure that everybody that they came into contact with saw that externally they were favored by God. I am so grateful that as a community and as a culture, we have evolved. See, they dealt with the same things then that we deal with now. We just call it social media now. And we can just hashtag it and look it all up. And the reality is, is this. It's, it's not that it's a problem to have good things. And we'll talk about that later. It's just about, it's just about what has us. And so they would work way harder on the external than the internal. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus' ministry was exploding at this point. Most popular guy around. Great miracles were taking place. God was using him in great ways. He was like being talked about on TMZ and everything else, right? Jesus was blowing up, and then he shows up, and he preaches this message called the Sermon on the Mount, verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5, and he takes everything that the culture was about, and he flips it completely upside down. And I can just hear, you're going you're gonna to know what I'm talking about when we read it in just a minute. You can just hear the disciples almost in the background going, what are you doing? I can almost hear John going, I'm your PR agent. Will you please shut up? Because it was so opposite of what anybody wanted to hear and opposite of the way anybody filled their life. Watch this. Let's read verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. If you don't have your Bible today, that's all right. It's going to be on the screens. I do think it is very um, uh, powerful to bring your word and write in it and study. But let's read this together. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now listen, when it says, and his disciples came to him, you got to understand, it wasn't just talking about the 12 disciples that followed him everywhere. Jesus actually had thousands of disciples, thousands of people that considered themselves a disciple of Jesus. Disciple means learner, and so they learned from Jesus. He had 12 that followed him everywhere. It was like his, his staff to organize the ministry that was taking place, all right? So when he says his disciples came to him, he's talking about thousands of people. He says this, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Now here's where Jesus starts to get in trouble according to everybody else. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and, say, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, can't you see why the people that were showing up and building their life in a certain way, Jesus starts preaching this, and can't you see how the disciples are like, will you stop? We're getting publicity, and things are taking off, and we're making, you would make more uh, impact if you just be quiet. And Jesus is like, nah, we're going to talk about this thing. We're going to look at what this actually looks like because it's completely countercultural. So today, in just a few minutes, I'm going to walk us through each and every one of these, and what was Jesus actually talking about and what does it mean here we go you're going to want to take notes the first one is blessed are what the poor in spirit the poor in spirit i actually think this one and once i explain it you'll know why i think this one's it's interesting that he starts with this one so it's the first wrong i've heard it said that the the the, the beatitudes or the character traits that he talks about in the sermon on the mount is like a, a ladder and each one builds on the other to get you closer to the way that God intends for your life to be once you come to Jesus and you give your life to Jesus. And that's why we're using it this way because I do think it's a great illustration and it shows us it does actually build on each other. And he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now remember, they all wanted public prosperity. They all wanted everybody to know that they had the nicest clothes and the nicest car and the nicest house and the nicest hair and the nicest this and the nicest that, right? But Jesus comes along and he goes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who focus more on private poverty than public prosperity. In other words, he's saying, listen, I know you got nice stuff. And in fact, I think there's this dangerous teaching out there today that all Christians, pastors, if you live for Jesus, you shouldn't have nice things, no nice cars, no nice clothes, you should give everything away. And, and I just want you to know, God doesn't really care if you have nice things, he just cares if those nice things have you. Because if they have me, I can't get rid of them. They define me. I can't be generous when God says sell a boat and give the proceeds away. I can't be generous when God says sell a house. I can't be generous with what I have in my life. I can't because they have me. But when I have them, I, it's just things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't define me. They come and go, right? And so it's not about what we have. In fact, it's more about this. He doesn't say poor in flesh. He says poor in what? Spirit. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because here's what he's saying. Blessed are those who realize that without a Savior, we have nothing. We all need a Savior. Here's what he's basically saying. We all have to understand, you may have the nicest stuff, you may have the best stuff, you may have the good stuff, you, and, and you, you may tithe, and you may be generous, and you may do all this stuff, and that's great. But you got to realize that no matter if you're up here or down here, no matter if you're a CEO or a janitor, doesn't matter what you do in your life as a stay-at-home mom or if you go to work every single day, it doesn't matter what you do. We all need a Savior, and you are not it. He's saying, blessed are those who realize that in their spirit they can't do anything to cause heaven to become a reality outside of a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus. 
And he's saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of earth. And otherwise, let me put it to you like this. He's saying, blessed are those who realize that there is a Savior outside of themselves named Jesus, for they will be now gone from poverty to royalty. Because those that realize that Jesus is the Savior are those that will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Poverty to royalty. Isn't it amazing that he's looking at people that, is fu- that are full of money and full of things and full of stuff and full of it? And now he's saying, listen, I see what you got. I know what you're spending your money on. I got all that. That's fine. But you got to realize nothing outside of that stuff, nothing, none of that stuff outside of Jesus really matters. You need a savior. I need a savior. And the beauty, the beauty is, is that there is a father that loves us so much that he goes, I know what separates relationship with you and with me, and it's called sin. And the only way to bridge that gap of sin is through a redemption of, of the, uh, to pay the debt of the sin. And the only way to pay it is a spotless lamb, and his name is Jesus, and I've already sent it. You can't pay it. I can't pay it, but he has paid it. And all I got to do is walk in it because the Bible teaches me that through the cross of Jesus, redemption and relationship with the Father is restored. And the first thing that we have to do is realize, man, I'm poor in spirit. Not that I have no money, not that I'm no good, not that I'm a nobody, just that I'm not a Savior and I need one. And, and, and y'all, I think I can do a lot of things pretty doggone good. But I can't send myself to heaven. I can't pay the debt of my sin. I can't do what Jesus has done. And religion tells you do so that you can get. Relationship tells you it's done so you can enjoy. It's a big difference. Poor, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because when I recognize my need for Jesus, I give him my life and I become a child of God. The second one is this. Blessed are those who what? Mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, man, Jesus, I'm going to be quite honest. This one sounds a little sadistic. This one sounds a little messed up. This one sounds a little dark, because don't nobody wake up in the morning and go, I hope I mourn today. Because mourning is not just tears. Mourning is not just sadness. If you've ever been through mourning, you know it's a deep, it's a deep diagnosis of what's going on. It's a deep digestion of what's happening. It's processing mentally, and it's figuring it out emotionally, and it's uh, uh, trying to reconcile it spiritually, and it's going through all these things, and it usually takes a toll on you physically, and there's so much that happens when you go through mourning, and remember, these guys are trying to go, hey, I'm favored by God, so therefore, I don't have bad days. I don't ever go through a tough moment. Just go look at my Instagram feed. It's amazing. Again, I'm so glad we've evolved. And Jesus shows up and goes, you do have bad days. You, it is difficult. In fact, watch this. He says, Jesus says it like, or, or the Bible says it like this. In Psalm 34, 18, God draws close to the brokenhearted. 
The more I do this ministry, the more uh, I, I talk to people and I walk with people through some very difficult times. Can I tell you, most people experience God in a greater way in the valleys more than the hilltops. It's the difficulties, and here's why. It doesn't mean that the only time God shows up is when things are hard. Usually it's the only time we recognize him. Because watch this. If you go to the mountain, I love going to the mountains. Anybody else mountain people up in here? That's my kind of speed right there. Slow, feels great, sit on the porch, sit by a creek, go fishing, whatever, right? Do whatever you want to do. I love the mountains. But if you go to the mountains, you'll recognize that the valleys are where the trees are and where the flowers are and where the rivers run. And great things happen. The higher you get on the mountaintop, the less there is growing. Because the conditions aren't very good the higher you get into the altitude. Watch this. Some of us run from the valley when God's just trying to draw close. God's just trying to go, hey, I just want to embrace you in this moment. But I want to rephrase, blessed are those who mourn. I want to give us another way to think about it, and it's this. Blessed are those who mourn over our sin. In other words, blessed are those who recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know. I start talking about sin and Holy Spirit and conviction, and everybody's like, oh, boy, I don't like talking about that. You ever done anything? I know you have because you're the 10 o'clock crowd. The 8.30 was the extra holy. (laughs) 11.30 is worse than y'all, so don't feel too bad. (laughs) I'm just playing. But the reality in Florence is like, I didn't have a choice. This is the only service we got. You ever done something, like spouted off, maybe with an attitude or said something a little edgy or done something that you know you shouldn't, and there's that feeling like in your gut. You know what I'm talking about? Or in the back of your head, you're like, you probably should have kept your mouth shut. You probably could have, you, you know, probably should have done it this way. Probably could have done it though. Can I tell you, it's not the Taco Bell from last night. That's the Holy Spirit going, hey, dummy, probably shouldn't have done that. It's not really uplifting of God. God's not going to call you a dummy, but I'm, I'm kidding. But the Holy Spirit shows up to comfort us in our time of need to teach us what we need to do to grow with him. And some of us have never encountered the Holy Spirit because we've never mourned over conviction anyway. It's just, see, conviction is the difference between somebody that wants to grow with God and somebody that just wants to go with God. Growing with God means he loves us so much that he won't leave us there. Going with God means I'm not going to hell. And it's true right relationship that makes a difference in that. And I'm just here to tell you, listen, there are moments where we got to sit back and go, you know what? I probably did something that created a distance between me and God. But thank you, Jesus, for the blood of your sacrifice off of that cross. Thank you, Jesus, that the tomb was opened and the stone was rolled away. And I have victory over those things. I feel terrible about it. See, conviction should lead to repentance. And repentance is not the ability to go, I'm sorry, God. I'll probably do it again. Repentance is the opportunity and the ability to turn and go in another direction. That's literally what repentance means, the word. Conviction should lead to turning and going to another direction. I don't know about you. I've done a lot in my life, a long time ago and not so long ago, to where I sit back and go, God, how much relationship and opportunity did I miss out on with you because of decisions? Now, God's never going to let us sit in that too long. 
because there is therefore now no condemnation through Christ Jesus. He's not going to allow us to be handcuffed with guilt and condemnation. We walk around and we're sad and we're depressed. No, when we mourn over our sins, we realize the, victor, the, the joy of victory over those things. And he goes, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is the Holy Spirit called? Comforter. He'll send the Holy Spirit to help us. Let me give you this quick story in the Bible. There's this man named David. King David, he sleeps with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant, has a kid, kills her husband to hide the whole thing. He's, he's covering it all up. This man named Nathan, God tells him to go. He's like, hey, go call King David up. We believe in calling up, not out. He goes, hey, go call King David up. Go make him better. Go tell him he's got to acknowledge this thing. David goes, and he begins to mourn in caves, and he begins to mourn all over the place. In fact, if you read the book of Psalms, a lot of those mourning moments are David mourning the sin that he was carrying in that moment. And then later on in the Bible, what does God call him? A man after God's own heart. What is the shift? It is the mourning of sin that led to conviction that then turned to repentance, and now it caused us to, 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 to begin to chase God. It's a big deal. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's keep going. Blessed are the meek. Somebody say meek. Meek. I'll tell you this. Meek does not mean weak. I know growing up when I heard, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they are sissies. And everybody just runs all over them. And they never stand up for anything, never, never do anything. In fact, the word meek does not mean that. Here's what meek means. Power under control. In fact, it was a, it was a word uh, used by the Greeks to describe a horse that was broken, not like sad broken. A horse that was broken so that you could control the horse. You ever been around a horse? Those things are powerful, they freak me out. Those things are muscular and they're powerful and they're, 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 they're wild and they're crazy. But a horse that had been broken, the Greeks now go, that is a lot of power under my control, that horse is meek. And here's what God's saying when he says, blessed are the meek or the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Here's what he's saying. Blessed are those that know when and how to use the power that I've given them. Blessed are those that know when and how to post something and when not. Blessed are those that know how to keep their mouths closed to their spouse sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Blessed are those that know that one button to push to ruin somebody's reputation, yet you don't. Blessed are those that have a lot of power, but it's all under God's control. In fact, uh, before Jesus' day, uh, centuries before Jesus, the Jewish people were uh, returned from exile. They were sent to their promised land that they never fully in inhabited or inherited, right? So they didn't fully possess it. And the Romans came into their promised land as pagans and as idol worshipers, and, and they began to rule that land, and they took over that land, and this was incredibly unacceptable to them. And so there was this group of people within the Jews called the Zealots, and the Zealots rose up, and the Zealots were crazy. They had weapons, and they had firepower, and they had craziness, and all this stuff about them, right? And to the, and to the, um, and to the Romans... 
The zealots were called terrorists. To the Jews, the zealots were called freedom fighters. They wanted to do the thing. Watch this. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's literally talking to the zealots. He's literally looking at them and going, I know what you can do. I know you can destroy them. I know you can take all that. But why don't you back off and put your power under control? Or in other words, a fruit of the Spirit is called self-control. He said, why don't, why, don't you, why don't you pull back that power a little bit and let me fight your battles? That's meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is going, God, you fight my battles. You tell me when to, when to use the power you've put in me and the abilities you've given me. You tell me when to do all that, but you fight my battles because you've already won it all. I'm reminded of Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when the guy shows up and Peter goes, Skah! and cuts off the man's ear. Y'all did not expect that at all. I saw like six people jump. He cut off the man's ear. What did Jesus say? In fact, in, in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, you can go read it for yourself. He says, no more of this. And he puts the man's ear back. That is power under control. He looks at Peter, and he goes, I know you have the ability to destroy the man with that sword, but I need you to put the sword back in the sheath and let me take care of this. Sometimes we got to be meek. Let's keep going. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who th hunger and thirst for righteousness. Anybody ever been hungry or thirsty? Yeah. Some of you are like, now. Lunch. Hunger and thirst. Hungry, when you're hungry, it, it, for too long it turns to hangry. And now it spews out on everybody else. And it's everybody else's problem. And your wife or your husband look at you and go, what's wrong with you? You are. You didn't get me food when you didn't know I wanted it. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. I got men, some husbands in trouble just now. <laughs> but watch this. When you're hungry enough and thirsty enough, it drives you to fulfill that, doesn't it? That desire. Y'all, I'm, I'm on the healthy train right now the best that I can. I'm half off, half, like, I'm falling off, let's be honest. I'm <laughs> hanging on white knuckle in the back of the thing okay i'm doing good though in my mind and but like i, I really am I'm, I'm doing better than i've ever done and like pastor travis helps me we hold each other accountable with this stuff and i buy him unhealthy food and he tells me he can't eat it and all this stuff right <laughs> all this stuff's going on and y'all i had a moment of hunger last night about 9 9 30 they tell you don't eat that late and i tell them shut up but you know and about 9, 9.30, I go and I look in the pantry, and y'all, there's double stuff. There's double stuff just staring me in the face, and they literally asked me to eat them. And so I ate five at 9.30 last night. I gave in to hunger. <laughs> I gave in because when you hunger for something long enough, you'll find a way to fulfill it. And God goes, I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's what righteousness means, right standing with God. He goes, I want you to be so driven to be with me that you will fulfill it by making sure we're in right standing together, by making sure that we're in this thing together. Hunger, and he says it like this later in the Bible, seek first the kingdom of God. Here's, here's another way he says it in Proverbs 13, 34, I love, 14, 34. I love the way he says it like this. He says, righteousness, righteousness exalts a nation. Y'all, 
There ain't a person in the United States that goes, I don't want the United States to be amazing and blessed and all this stuff. But can I tell you, it's not a political party. It's not an ideology. It's not a vote. It's not... Can I tell you what it is? It's righteousness. It's right standing with God. The Bible literally tells us the only thing that makes a nation right standing with God is, is, is exalts a nation is righteousness. And I know some of you are like, um, don't talk about politics. I don't care your poli- politics. It's right standing with God first. And he goes, listen, I just want you, like the biggest thing I want you to do is hunger and thirst for right standing with me. Here's another one. You ready? Blessed are the what? Merciful. Blessed are the merciful for? Here we go. Listen, merciful for they shall receive mercy. You ever heard the phrase, what goes around what? Comes around. That's what Jesus is teaching. You want mercy? Give mercy. You want mercy? Give mercy. Here's what what mercy is. It's this. Mercy, here's the definition, is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. Let me, let me differentiate grace and mercy because they can get mixed up. Grace is being given what you don't deserve. Mercy is not being given what you do deserve. He says, blessed are those who can ruin somebody's life and decide not to. Blessed are those who keep the reputation defaming off of the internet. Blessed are those who allow their character to speak more than their words. Blessed are those who know that they have a right to and could take somebody down but decide not to. Well, why why are the merciful blessed? Because when I'm living my life that I know I need a Savior and I need that Savior so much that I begin to mourn the sin that made me realize or think I didn't need a Savior to begin with, now I'm learning to be meek and and power under control, submitted to the kingdom of God, and I'm, I'm surrendering and I'm thirsting and I'm hungering for righteousness and right standing with God, that now His mercy becomes my response because I'm drawing closer. You see how they build on each other? See, He had so much mercy in my life, y'all, and He's had so much mercy in your life. And he goes, I just want you to give the same mercy I gave. I just want you to to offer that to somebody else because you never know how much it's going to change somebody's life. Let's keep going. Blessed are the pure, the pure in heart. The Bible teaches it this way, that God looks at the heart, but man looks at what? The outward appearance. Remember, these guys were crowding around him, and they were more worried about what they looked like than anything else. And Jesus shows up and goes, hey, why don't you quit worrying about what you look like, and why don't you quit worrying about what nobody can see? Worry about this. Worry about what you do in private. Worry about what you say about that person when that person can't hear you. Worry about why you worship more than how many times you went to church this month. Come on. See, I go to church not because I'm the pastor here. I went to church for decades before that. I went to church because in my heart, I was grateful of the mercy that he gave me. And I always want to be in right standing with him. And I always want to be under control of his kingdom. And man, I just mourn my, my, my sin sometimes. And so I go to a place where I can worship the Savior. Man, what is that? Pure in heart. Who am I on the inside? Let me, let me give it to you like this. It's not our external activity that matters as much as our internal purity. 
Listen, God, God wants you to serve his church. God wants you to serve his kingdom. God wants you to be here. God wants you to do those things. All that stuff is great, and you should do it, and you should be involved in a ministry here, and you should help serve people, and you should do all those things. I think it's a plan of God to expand his church throughout the world so that we can expand his kingdom throughout the world. Watch this. But God cares more about who you are than what you do. Because if what I do becomes my God, then who I am is wrapped up on the approval of everyone else. But when my identity is in him, then I can be pure in heart. And then it says this, the last one. Blessed are the peacemakers. I think the wording here is actually interesting. He doesn't say blessed are peacekeepers. He says blessed are the peacemakers. Peacekeepers usually keep silent. I don't really want to get in the mix. I don't really want to create a problem. I don't want to give an idea or an opinion that somebody may be against. Let me, shh. And peacemakers are usually the ones that connect something. Watch this. Peacemakers, I'll give you this illustration, are like bridges. What do bridges do? Bridges connect two disjointed sides. Two things that are not connected, a bridge connects those things. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who bring people together that are far apart and they bring them together. Can I tell you, the church, the literal physical church, you and I are to be peacemakers and bridges for people that don't yet know God to come to a place to where they can see God. We're to be bridges. Watch this. I've watched people throughout the past couple of years that have completely and totally blown up their influence and faith and witness because of political stances. And that's not being a peacemaker. In fact, I'll say it like this. You should have a political stance. You should have an opinion on policy. You should have all those things. The problem is, is they shouldn't have me. And it should all be filtered through the Bible. And it should all be filtered through Jesus. And we can debate that stuff and have healthy conversations. But peacemakers are the ones that go, I don't care if you're a, a Republican or a Democrat or if you're in the middle. We're bridging the gap. And the bridge is Jesus. And I'm going to be a peacemaker. And I'm going to be loud about creating that peace. That's what it looks like. I'm just trying to give you a real life example of what it looks like to be a peacemaker. And then there's the eighth one. Verses 10 through 12 show up. So Jesus gives us these thoughts and these, these ladders and these steps to take up. And we're growing and great things are taking place. And then all of a sudden he goes to verse 10 through 12. And it's no longer about us, but it's about everybody else. And it says this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He's like, listen, we'll get to verse 12 in a second. Why is that important? Because I think Jesus is going, if you live this way, you will look so different from everybody else that they don't, nobody understands unless they're living it with you. It doesn't make sense. And what people don't understand they will not withstand. And so they create their own narrative for what's happening. And so there will. If anybody has ever told you that when you give your life to Jesus, everything is rainbows and butterflies the rest of your life, I want you to know they told you a lie. Because that's not life. 
In fact, if God draws close to the brokenhearted, what makes us think that we're never going to go through brokenheartedness? Watch this. It doesn't say nothing bad will happen. In fact, Jesus says, you will look so different that people will persecute you and they will lie about you and they will tear your reputation down and they will want you to fail and falter and everything to be broken down. And then he says this, rejoice. Oh yeah, Jesus. Talk junk about me and my family. Woohoo! Nobody thinks that. He says, rejoice and be glad. And then he puts our perspective right back at number one for your reward is not on earth your reward is in heaven and it is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you I don't know about you but I want to be included in the same mentality in the same breath as prophets that God did favor not just People that seem to have it all together. And so what am I telling you today? I'm telling you this. This life is just a warm-up. This life is just a warm-up. And we get the opportunity to live this thing out and make the biggest difference in the world to expand the kingdom of God through these seven steps and more. We're going to keep talking about it. Because Jesus is going, I love you, and I gave my life for you. And if you live by these things, your life will be so different that the people that talked about you will now begin to talk to you because you got something that they want. And it's, we all need a Savior. We all need it. I don't care how much money you got. You need a Savior. I don't care how old you are. You need a Savior. And the beauty is, today, he's saying, I'm that Savior. I was that Savior on Easter, and I'm that Savior today. And what I'd love to do is I'd just love to pray with you real quick. If you would just bow your heads in Columbia and in Florence and online. And what's going to happen is I'm, I'm going to pray with you. In Florence, after I say amen, I'm going to send us off. But after I say amen, your campus directors are going to get up and give you instructions on your next steps and what's going to take place. But if there's anybody in the room today that just says, you know what, man, it's time for me to start that transformative relationship with Jesus today. Like, that, I want that. That was real, and that is who he is, and I want that life. And I want to live for somebody like that, and I, wanna, I, I just want to do this thing. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray with you? I'm not calling you out. I'm not calling you up. I'm not doing any of that. I just want to pray with you. That's it. Right where you are, anybody in the room, amen. If you pray a prayer of salvation online today and, or in Florence today and to yourself, just ask God for forgiveness to start a new transformative relationship with him. If that's you, would you contact us and let us know that? We'd love to walk this out with you. Let me pray with you. Father, I love you. I honor you, and I thank you that you do make it so practical that we can live for you every step of the way. And so, God, I love you, and I honor you, and I pray that we would take today and we would build from this point on, to learn more and to grow more and to become everything that you created us to be. God, let us walk this out and walk out the victory of the resurrection and the joy of salvation every day. And God, let us do it together. And let us be those bridges of peace that draw people closer to you. Father, we love you and honor you in your name. Amen.